This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. The scripture that was read came from the Old Testament book of Job. The reading was from the 23rd chapter, and it was from the 8th through the 9th verse. But I think it's important that we have context. And so what I will do is I want to read the entire 23rd chapter in its full context so you can hear the spirit of Job as he talks to God. Beginning at verse 1, this is what it says. Then Job responded, Even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew how to find him, that I might come to his home. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would tell me. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would argue with him, and I would be free of my judge forever. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot see him. He turns to the right, but I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has put me to the test, I will come out as gold. My foot has held on to his path. I have kept his way and not turn aside. I have not failed the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than any or even my necessary food. But he is unique. And who can make him turn? Whatever his soul desires, he does it. For he carries out what is destined for me, and many such destinies are with him. Therefore, I'll be terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am frightened of him. It is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has terrified me. But I'm not destroyed by darkness nor by deep gloom which covers me. My family will tell you that one of the things that frustrates me perhaps more than anything else in the world is not being able to find something that I am looking for. I'm one of those people that happens to be quite meticulous, and I often put things in the same place, drive the same route, eat at the same place, eat the same food, simply because I don't like the feeling of looking for something and it not being there. I put my keys in the same place. My phone in the same place. My shoes in the same place. You get the picture, right? All because I don't like the feeling of looking for something and it not being there. Well. I'm sure that many of you can possibly relate to me in this way, but as I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that the reason why I don't like the feeling of looking for something and it not being there is simply because I don't like being disappointed. You see, disappointment is never based on what you find. Disappointment is always based on what you expect yeah. to find. So every time I cannot find what I am looking for, it leaves me disappointed, and I don't like that feeling. 
Furthermore, the disappointment takes on an even larger level of pain when I realize that the reason why I can't find something might be my own fault. In other words, I did not follow my own rules. I, I didn't put my keys in the usual place. I, I did not put my flash drive where I usually put my flash drive. I was the one that put it somewhere else other than my usual place, and now that I go looking for them, they are not there. In that instance, I have no one to blame but myself, so my disappointment now turns inward, for I am now disappointed in myself. It is one thing to be disappointed and blame my wife, which I do often. It is another thing to be disappointed and blame my son or my daughter. But it's an entirely different thing when I'm disappointed and I have no choice but to blame myself. Amen. But church, mm -hmm. what do you do when the blame for the disappointment is not your spouse, your family, your friends, or even yourself? What do you do when the blame for the disappointment is God? Especially, especially when you look for him where you think he should be and he is not there. What do you do then? Well, it is with this thought in mind that I'd like to speak to you today on the idea of not finding God where we want him in a message that I have titled quite simply, Our Elusive King our elusive king. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are truly grateful for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for how these people have come today, Lord. Not simply because the doors of the church were open, Lord, and they would have an opportunity to be in this place, but they have come here seeking you seeking your face, seeking your hands, but most of all, seeking your heart. And so, Father, through the foolishness of preaching, let it be, Lord, that the words that I speak, which I have prepared, be peppered with the lightning bolt of the Holy Spirit, that when it hits the heart, Lord, it does nothing else but to soften it, mold it, to shape it, that it might receive the seed that will be planted, that will one day manifest and bear much fruit for your kingdom. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all that we will do here. Thank you for all those who are live streaming, all those who are all over the world and have an opportunity to hear this message. May it find the heart that needs the encouraging words. This we pray in Jesus' holy name and the church all over the world we say amen, amen, and amen. All right, so... These days, everyone seems to be looking for something. I think we can all agree, people are generally looking for something. Whether it's a job, or it's a soulmate, or an answer to suffering. Maybe you're even looking for healing in your body from an illness, or even just a simple sense of peace. Everyone, everywhere, seems to be looking for something. But irrespective of what you may be looking for, the fact of the matter is you are searching for something that seems to not be there. You're looking, perhaps, for something that we would say is elusive. 
So the most obvious questions to ask are these. For it seems that there can be only two possibilities why you can't find what you're looking for. There might be only two possibilities of you not being able to find what you're looking for. Possibility number one is that there might be something wrong with your search process. How you go about looking for something might be the reason why you're not finding what you're looking for. But the second possibility of why you're not finding what you're looking for could simply be that what you're looking for is not there. So it seems to me that these are the only two possibilities. Either something's wrong with your process or what you're looking for is not there. Now there is a third possibility which we'll get to later on. But for the moment right now, I think reasonable people can say those are probably the only two reasons why you can't find what you're looking for. Well, let's talk first about the search process. Studies have shown that there may be five reasons why something might be wrong with your search process. And I'll go through them very briefly. Five reasons why something might be wrong with your search process. Number one, you give up your search too quickly. That could be a reason. You're searching for something, you can't find it because you give up the search far too quickly, right? This means that you're not patient enough to stay the course all the way through its final conclusion. Many of us can identify with this because not finding what we want, people like me, can be so frustrating that we rationalize ourselves out of the need for what we are looking for in the first place. So we just give up. I remember when I was applying for a job a long time ago and um, I, I didn't get the job that I thought I was applying for. They gave me another job. But when I didn't get the job I was applying for, you know what I said? I ain't want it anyway. I ain't even want it anyway. How about that? So the idea is we rationalize ourselves out of the thing that we want that we can't find simply because we don't have the patience to go through the process. That could be reason number one. Reason number two why you have a problem with the search process could be you're looking in the wrong place. Right? We're looking in the wrong place. This has major implications for many of us simply because we think we know where something should be. <laughs> we can be so convinced that what we're looking for should be in a certain place that we fail to open up our minds to the possibility that it could be somewhere else. How often, and I know you all can relate to this, how often can you think of the fact that you left something on your desk and you're so convinced that that was where you left it that you can't look for anything anywhere else only to find out that the keys you're looking for, you left in the car. <laughs> See, we, 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 we can't find what we're looking for sometimes in life because we're looking in the wrong place. The third thing is you care too much. Now this is an interesting one and it's a big one because it makes the case that you can be so emotionally invested in the search that you can't even hear other possibilities. We, we see these kinds of things where people become so dogmatic about their own thoughts and ideas that they simply cannot hear anything else. When our emotions become too entangled with our intellect, then common sense ends up not being so common after all. Sometimes we just care too much and we can't find it. And finally, the fifth and final thing is that your timing might be off. Right? This happens to be my favorite reason why we can't find what we're looking for because the truth is you often won't find it until it's the right time. Which means that you have to learn patience while you wait. This is a tough pill to swallow, church, and I know y'all are hearing me because, because for so many of us, we've been waiting a long time 
and we have been quite patient and it literally seems like time is running out. Sure, we understand the scriptures when it says things like, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Or you heard scriptures like, the vision is yet for an appointed time, and, and, and though it tarry, wait for it. And of course, our personal favorite, right, which is, do not get weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall what? Reap your reward. So we are a people who are very accustomed to waiting. And we've been waiting for a lot of things for a long time. For many of us, we're waiting for this country to even recognize that we are, in fact, valuable human beings. That were it not for us, this country would even be where it is today. But we've been waiting a long time. A very long time. So we're not unaccustomed to waiting, but sometimes we just recognize that, you know what? Our timing is off. So the five possibilities why we're not finding what we're looking for might rest on the fact that, one, we give up too early. Number two, we're looking in the wrong place. Number three, we're trying too hard. Number four, we care too much. Or number five, our timing is off. But whatever the reason is, why you're not finding what you are looking for, it may rest on the possibility that there is a second thing. The second challenge, why we may not find what we're looking for, is that what we are looking for might simply not be there. I hope you all are tracking with me. Might not be there. So this, is one, this one actually is a little more devastating than the other. Because if something is not there, yet we look for it, then we run the risk of entering into depression. Hear what I'm saying. If we are looking for something that is not there and we are searching for it, we run the risk of entering into some form of depression. My brothers and my sisters, it's one thing to be looking for your car keys or your flash drive or your shoes, or anything material. It's one thing to be looking for those things and you can't find them, but in the back of your mind, you know that they are real, that they are material, that they are tangible. You're actually, you actually had it before. It's an entirely different thing when you're looking for something that is intangible, that you can't touch, that you can't feel. And, and here's what I mean. What do you do when the thing that you're looking for is the ability to receive forgiveness from someone that you have destroyed their life. Something you're looking for that you just can't find. Or what about if you're looking for the ability to forgive someone that not only harmed you, but also to receive forgiveness from someone that you had an issue with. Hard, tough stuff. How about looking for faith? in someone that has not shown any sign of growth or maturity. Looking for your, your children, for example, to finally get it. Something that you can't quite put your finger around. I know y'all are hearing me, parents. How about hope in a system, like I said, that does not value us as human beings? And perhaps even more difficult. How hard is it when you're looking for love? In, in, in the hopes that you have a desire to share with someone your innermost thoughts in an atmosphere of intimacy and safety. Looking for something that you can't quite grasp or put your hand on. Well, 
What I'm describing to you, church, are the reasons why this second possibility, looking for something that might not be there, can be so troubling and so devastating that it leads you into some form of depression if we are not careful. And my purpose for making all of this argument is simply to say to you that in this life, some things do not make sense, and try as we might, search as we will, there may be some things that we are looking for, things that we believe will satisfy our innermost longings, and it is just not there. I don't know what you might be looking for, church. I don't know what you might be looking for specifically. But I can tell you that you are not the only one that is experiencing frustration on this level. That there are others who might have seen much worse and are going through far worse than you or I. And it seems that life is so unfair when there are no answers, when nothing seems to make any sense. People are in a place, many people are in the place where they've got it so bad that they don't even understand why the things are happening to them. Here now, brothers and sisters, enters a man by the name of Job. Whatever your situations are, whatever issues you are facing in your life, let us talk a little bit about this man named Job. The scriptures speak of this man who we are told was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. Read the scriptures. Job had seven sons and three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and donkeys, a large number, a contingent of servants. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job was a wealthy and powerful man. He was a man of high honor and integrity, upright and blameless, the scriptures tell us. And because of his character, he was blessed by his family, blessed by his neighbors, blessed with his possessions, but most of all, church, blessed by God. And I believe that the scriptures want to convey to us not so much how blessed Job was, I think the scriptures in telling us about the fortunes of Job was really, Sister Andrea, trying to tell us that Job, not only was he a blessed man, but Job had a lot to lose. Job had a lot to lose. But my reason and point for mentioning Job, with all that he had, with all that happened to Job, you see, Job, God, was, God was proud of Job. And it was for this reason that Satan now sought to do what? Afflict him, right? And so because of Satan, not God, Job ended up losing all his livestock, all of his servants, all of his camels, and all of his children. Job had suffered the worst possible loss that you could ever imagine. And as a result, Job entered into grief. Now, I'm talking all of this about Job because I want to make sure you understand that what happened to Job? Losing his livestock, losing his servants, losing his house, losing his children, and let us even make it a little more personal, losing all of our belongings to flooding from a hurricane, losing our jobs, losing our loved ones to this dreadful pandemic, or even certain illness, you, you know, losing our, you fill in the blanks. 
right? With all that has happened to you and certainly to Job, Job had a very, very good reason to be looking for something. Job was looking for something that would make sense of all of his loss. You and I, we're looking for something that would make sense for all the things that we have lost in our lives. You see, the challenge with Job is that it would make sense if Job lost his livestock, all of his servants, all of his camels, all of his children. It would make sense for Job to lose all of those things if Job had been an evil, conniving, backbiting, and downright awful human being. If Job was Trumpian in his ways, then we would understand why he would have suffered all of the loss, because it would make sense. We would consider that retributive justice, but that's not how the Bible tells the story. Stay with me, church. That's not how the Bible tells me the story. The Bible says Job, this man, was blameless and upright and that he feared God and shunned evil. So at the very least, Job was a good man, seemingly undeserving of all the calamity that had befallen him. Job served God. Job paid his tithes and his offerings. Job volunteered to feed the hungry and the homeless. Job cared and supported his family, and Job helped out at the church. Job loved God. And if truth be told, Job had a very good reason to be looking for something. Job was looking for God. This brings me to our text for today. 23rd chapter in the book of Job and the 8th through the 9th verse. And let me read it again. Job says this. Behold, I go forward, and he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot see him. When he acts on the right, I cannot see him. Job is looking for God. And Job cannot find God. In the midst of all of what has happened to him in his life, Job is desperate. And Job is looking for God. And Job cannot find God. Now, it's not that Job doesn't believe in God or that God doesn't exist or anything like that. Job knows God. Job loves God. Job communes and gives his offerings to God. Job prays to God. So the issue is not that Job is unaware of God. The issue is that Job is looking for an elusive God. Job is looking for a God that is difficult to grasp and to understand. Job is looking for a God that, 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 that is tending to evade all pursuit. Job is looking for a God that is hard to comprehend or even define. Job is looking for a God that is hard to isolate and even identify. Job is looking for an elusive God. What do you do, church, when the God you serve, the God you love, the God you believe in is elusive and nowhere to be found, especially when you need him the most? If you're like me, then you become frustrated, not because you no longer believe, but you become frustrated because where I left him is not where he is to be found. Let me say that again. I told you in the beginning that I'm one of those people 
that one of the greatest things that frustrate me is to not find something where I left it. So if I don't find God where I expect God to be, my level of frustration is, be, is through the roof. I have become frustrated with God because where I left him is not where he is to be found. This is the mark of an elusive God. And the third possibility that I mentioned before, why you can't find what you're looking for. And because God is elusive, you can't put him in a box. You can't make him your personal genie in a bottle that you just rub it at the right time and have him honor your command. Then if that was the case, he would cease to be God. You can't serve him one way and believe that you can serve him anyway. God is God. And you and I are not. And this is the problem with Job. As blessed as Job was, as faithful as Job was, as upright as Job was, Job had God in his own private, I'm a good person box. Look with me again at the text beginning at the third verse in the 23rd chapter. And listen carefully. If you can hear Job having God in his own little box. Listen. This is Job. Oh, that I knew how to find him, that I might come to his home. Really. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would tell me. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No. Surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would argue with him, and I would be free of my judge forever. Do you hear it? Do you hear the arrogance of Job? Thinking that I'm such a good person, that God has no reason at all but to hear me, to let me into his home, to be able to, to listen to the, 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 the articulation of my speech, the eloquence of my words. God would hear me, and if God heard me, and I plead my case before God, then God would have no other response than to give me what I have petitioned him for. Job expected to find God in the place where he served God and where he left God. Job left God at the place of his own integrity and righteousness. So when Job sought to find God, when Job went looking for God, he thought he could find God by pleading his case with eloquent words and arguments for his integrity. And God would be compelled to listen to him. And God would respond. And many of us, brothers and sisters, tend to do the same thing. You think because you care for your responsibilities to your family and children when other people aren't doing that, then God should be where you can find him. You, you think because you serve as a, a steward or a trustee, a missionary, a, a class leader, or some other role in the church, then God should be where you can find him. <laughs> How about you think because you give more money to the church in tithes and offerings than other people do, then God should be where you can find him. How about you think because you don't commit certain kinds of sinful acts 
like other people do. God should be where you can find him. This is your problem and mine. This is our problem and the same problem that Job had. You see, God is God and he is never going to be on your schedule, on your time, or even on mine. You see, for his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is God, and he is an elusive God. So, pastor, <laughs> what are we to do about the frustration that comes with a God that we have served? A God that we have loved. A God that we believe in, but, but yet a God that is elusive and is not where we left him. Well, I'm glad you asked that question, church. For there is, in fact, a seeming contradiction that emerges from the pages of Scripture, which is found in the 55th chapter of the book of Isaiah and the 6th verse. Here's what it says. <laughs> Listen carefully, church. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Did you hear that? There's an implication that you can search for God and you can find him. Now, now, call on him while he is near. How can we seek a God that is elusive? Where are we even to look? For he's never where we left him. So how can we seek him? Is, is, this, is this a troubling question to you? Because it was to me as I prepared this message. How are you, Bible, telling me to... Find and search for a God, to seek for a God that I've declared is elusive, that Job, even in the midst of his immense pain, who has every reason to hear from you, Lord, why is it that he can't find you, but yet still you're telling me to seek you while you may be found and call on you when you are near? The answer lies in what the Lord said to the children of Israel when they would have had enough despair in Babylonian captivity. Listen to Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, and the 10th through the 14th verses. And I want you all, church, to understand something. God is a good God. God is a wonderful God. God is an awesome God, Sister Charlotte. He's a phenomenal God. He's an amazing God, a benevolent God. But he's also a holy God. This is what it says in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th verse. After all of what I've set up for you. Verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says. Talking to the children of Israel. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I, here it is, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. 
I don't know. I, that, that, that's shouting scripture for me right there. I don't know about you. He says, listen, verse 12 again. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found, declares the Lord. I will be found by you. The elusive God will make himself be found. <laughs> I don't know if y'all heard that. The elusive God will make himself be found. That's the answer. You won't find him where you left him. You will find him when he lets himself be found. But you must seek him with all of your heart. And that takes faith. Faith. Faith is how you find God. Not where you think he should be. Not where you want him to be. Not where you expect him to be. But by faith. In your heart. Where he wants to be. Oh my goodness. In your heart where he wants to be. You see? And, and, and guess what? If you seek him with all of your hearts, then in your heart is where he will be and you will find him. This is what it means to serve an elusive God. A God that will make himself be found because he will have revealed himself to you. And there is no greater revelation of himself than in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through the incarnation where God left the majesty of heaven and took on the form of a man, our elusive God became a man so that he could be found if we seek him with all of our heart. Jesus is the manifestation. Jesus is the manifestation of the elusive God. And he is our elusive king. If you are willing to seek him with all of your heart, then I can testify as God is my witness, that your frustration of not being able to find what you have lost will be made available to you so that like Job, we can say in verse 16 through 17, <laughs> verse 16 through 17, it is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has terrified me. But I am not destroyed by darkness, nor by the gloom which covers me. The bottom line, church, is simply this, as I close. You can't find God where you think he is, but you will always find God where God wants to be. And where God wants to be is in your hearts and minds. And if he is in 
your heart, then you won't have to go searching for him, for he will come searching for you. Amen? May the Lord, may the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.